Well, good morning, church. I'm excited to see you this morning. Welcome if you're in the building and welcome if you're watching online. I trust that uh, you encountered God during worship and during your giving. We've had a great morning so far. I want to jump right into my sermon today so that I can get you out into the crowds of the restaurants. Um, I'm, I'm sure that you're hungry, but um, today I'm going to talk about Enneagram 8. Now, if you've been following us, you know that we've talked about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and, and today is going to be eight. Eight is a fun topic. There are lots of eights in the room I already see. Uh, primarily on the front row, the most important one to me, my wife, is an eight. So if I get this wrong, eights, you can bet that I will hear about it after church today. But before I get to the wonderful life of eights, I want to invite you to awaken. Uh, last Monday night, 6.30 to 7.30, we, we do it every Monday. Uh, we started back here recently and we, we come here and it's a few people, not as big of a crowd as we have here today, but a few people have been coming and we do communion and it's personal prayer and it's fantastic. The Lord impressed on my heart last week, actually Sunday, the day before Awaken, that I need to start doing some teaching at Awaken. So it's kind of transitioned and morphed into, um, I don't know, a service because there's a sermon. There's not worship, so California should be happy. Uh, there's a sermon and there's prayer and there's communion. And I want, to, I want to tell you tomorrow night, it's already stirring in me. The Lord is, is going to help us understand what it means for blessing and cursing, what it means to release miracles in the atmosphere, what it means for heaven to invade earth. And I would not be surprised if during tomorrow night's sermon, there are actual physical healings in the room. So I just want to encourage you to be here tomorrow night, 630, uh, following the sermon. We do spend time in prayer and you can bring your journal and your Bible and your pen, your pad, whatever. You can dance in the back. I don't care what you do. We don't care. We don't have any rules or regulations. We're just here to encounter God together. Amen. So I would love to see you here, but let me come back to today, Enneagram 8. If you don't know what your number is, and I think it's important for us to know ourselves because when we get to know who we really are and who our spouse really is or our kids or our coworkers, and we learn how to interact with them, when we get to our true self, we most reflect who God intended for us to be. You know, you're, you're born with a certain set of DNA that God God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And somehow you come out of the chute and life happens and things get cluttered and life gets messy. And the real you gets suppressed with all the drama around you. And so we got to know who God created us to be. If you don't know your Enneagram number, I encourage you to text SELF, S-E-L-F, to 512-980-1220. You'll get a link back that... You can take the test and find out what you are. And if you need any help, we have some self-proclaimed Enneagram experts on staff, and we will help you walk through that. Today, we're going to talk about Enneagram 8, and we're going to look at a person who I think exhibits eight qualities as a very healthy, healthy eight. Now, when I did my sermon as a four, I used an example of an unhealthy four, King Saul. No four in the room wanted to be paralleled to King Saul. But the eights today uh, are going to be paralleled to a guy 
that I think is pretty amazing. His name is Nathan. Um, a lot of people, when they score eight on the Enneagram, they kind of flip out and they get nervous and they think, I'm, I'm that person. I'm that person that intimidates people. I'm that person that makes people feel uneasy or uncomfortable, or I'm that person that's abrasive and direct. Can I just tell all the eights in the room and all the eights watching online that we love you. We believe that God made you. There is such beauty in who you are as a person, and you are such a huge, huge asset to the kingdom, especially if we can get you healthy. So stay tuned. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for your word that is going to come alive in our spirits today. I thank you for every person that is watching online, Father, that their faith is partnered with what you're doing in the room. I thank you that you're not contained to location, that even now in living rooms and bedrooms and beaches all across the world today, God, wherever this broadcast is going, that your presence is there, your anointing is there to break every chain. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, amen. Amen. Now, before we get to our text, uh, our Bible story, we have to set the stage for a bit. Last week, I talked about David, and he is a seven. Any sevens in the room? Enthusiast? One, two, okay, three. Wing seven, okay. Uh, David was a seven, and he was doing uh, footloose in the streets. We talked about that last week. He was being a little bit crazy. It was great. David likes to get excited. He likes to get really excited. Unfortunately, he got a little too excited about a woman, Bathsheba, and she, she was married and he decides to have relations with her. Um, he gets her pregnant and she sends him a note. Now David, the, the fun seven, finds himself backed in a corner and he's got to figure out what to do. How is he going to fix this problem? Because he's the king of Israel. He's now impregnated a woman. And this woman's husband is off fighting for David's kingdom. How many know you've had a bad day when you wake up to those circumstances? <laughs> the Bible is clear that David does a, a lot of nasty, nasty, awful, hideous stuff. He's impulsive. He's reckless. He gets really, really unhealthy in trying to cover up his sin. He digs a hole and he makes it even worse. You know, he doesn't clean up his mess very good. The first thing he does, let me just walk us through this process before we hit our text. The first thing that he does, he invites Uriah the Hittite back from the battlefield. And he says, hey, Uriah, you've done such a great job. You've been so loyal. You've been so faithful. Come on back from the battlefield. I want to give you some R&R. &R. Why don't you just spend the night at home, spend some time with your wife? And Uriah is, is such a, a good guy. He decides that he can't be disloyal to his comrades on the field. So he doesn't go in the house. He stays in a tent outside. He doesn't have relations with his wife. So now David's getting concerned. You know what he was trying to do, don't you? He's trying to set the stage so that Uriah looks like a new dad, right? So that doesn't work. So David goes to plan B. He invites Uriah and he invites him over, gets him drunk, sends him home, thinks for sure that's going to be the solution. 
but it wasn't. Uriah did nothing with his wife. He was faithful and loyal to the mission that was in the battlefield. So David does the thing that he has to do to make sure and cover his tracks. He sends Uriah with a note to Joab. The note says, make sure that Uriah gets killed. So Uriah is carrying the murderous note to the commander on the battlefield. David feels like it's all good. Church, let me just tell you something. Sometimes you may feel like you get away with it. You may feel like your spouse won't know, your kids won't know, your boss won't know. You may be able to hide it from your pastor, from the police, from the nun, from whoever, but there are things, all things in your life that you cannot hide from God. Can I get a good amen from everybody? God sees it all. He sees it all. So what does God do? God sends a challenger, Nathan. Eight is the challenger. Eights like to challenge sin. They like to challenge status quo. They like to challenge injustice. God sends Nathan to David to challenge the situation and challenge David for his sin. And this is where our text picks up. Let's read together. If you're watching from home, please grab your Bible. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 through 13. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. It's so funny. Now, this is a little over the top, right? David is being told a story by Nathan that a guest shows up and kills a pet right? Kills an animal. And David says, this guy has to die. Now that's kind of just like a seven in it. You enthusiasts, simmer down. Simmer down just a little bit. I mean, you don't issue the death penalty for killing a pet. Maybe some time in jail, maybe some counseling, but you don't do death penalty for killing your cat. Verse six, he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Verse seven, then Nathan said to David. Now keep in mind prior to this verse, Nathan had been nice and flowery with his words, right? He set the stage, he was telling somewhat of a parable. He was, he was coming in with a bomber plane with the engine set low, right? Eights, this means Nathan was in growth. He didn't just come in, guns a-blazing, ready to just say the truth and lay it down. And, and if you don't like it, then you know what to do about it. He came in soft and he told a parable. But here's where the strength of the eight is in verse seven. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. 
The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives in the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says because of what you have done. I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of Israel. How would you like to be a prophet that delivers that message? Did you follow? That was a lot of text, but did you follow? That's some pretty serious stuff. Are you awake this morning? Or are you kind of shaking in your boots saying, God, please don't ever call me to deliver something like that of that significant nature? Because nature. what we really want to do is like, let's just sit down, have a cup of coffee. How do you feel? What do you think about this? But that's not what Nathan did. Nathan showed up on the scene with the word of the Lord. He eased into it, but then he delivered a message of truth that was straight from the throne of God. Then David confessed to Nathan, I imagine David the seven. All right, well, I guess my gig is up. You know. Like, I, I can't really hide it. I can't make an excuse. I can't do, do anything. I'm just going to confess to you. He confessed to Nathan, and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. I love Nathan's reply. He's like, yep, yep, you did. Yep. But the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. You won't die for this sin. There's so much we can unpack here about the consequences and the, the, the weight of sin versus eternal death and damnation. If I have time, I'll try to swing back around on this topic and kind of talk about that for a bit because I'm, I'm concerned that the global church, maybe not the global church, maybe the cultural Christian church doesn't understand the difference between consequences of sin consequences having action and eternal damnation. So I'll come back to Romans 8.1, but first let me just celebrate the challenger for a moment. The challenger reflects God's power. Power. If you're an eight, look at your neighbor, tell them I am strong. All right. I thought you were coming up to take the mic. <laughs> You're just giving an offering on a point. Your faith is partnering with something. Some of you in the room and watching online, you're raising little challengers, aren't you? Aren't you? You're raising some challengers that want to tell you what they're going to do and how they're going to do it and with whom and when and where and why. And let me just encourage you today because that, that challenging nature within your children that sometimes you want to just pull your hair out, God is going to use that to potentially lead a nation someday. Eights are incredible leaders. Eights are not led by their heart. They're not led by their head. They're led by their gut by their instinct. Every eight I know has an impeccable amount of discernment. Doesn't mean they're always right, but the discernment, the hand of discernment that is on their life is incredible. And, and eights lead and influence people to get things done. 
eights communicate directly, sometimes very directly. You saw Nathan, he said, he lays out this, this nice little parable, gets David to take the bait, and David says, who is that guy? Kill him. And David says, or Nathan says, you are that man. Eights can be very direct. They don't beat around the bush. They are protective to the least of these. Eights are sometimes described like, like God, the Trinity, as an egg. Eights have a hard outer shell, but if you can get them to crack, there's something soft inside. And the soft that's inside is often a tenderness for the vulnerable, the underdog, the person that is overlooked, the pet that needs rescuing. <sighs> The healthy eight, a healthy eight is in pursuit of tenderness and mercy. It may not come naturally, but that doesn't mean that's not what, where the heart is towards. A healthy eight is constantly learning how to communicate more effectively, how to, to reach into the situation rather than step over the situation. When unhealthy, the eight uses their power to dominate other people. David David was a seven, but most likely he was a seven-wing eight. And as a seven-wing eight, he used his power to dominate Uriah, right? They used power to get their way. As an eight, you have to be careful to use your power to benefit others. You have special powers, eights. Hear me. We all think you're strong. We all think you're amazing. We all wish that we could handle confrontation like you. But you have to handle your special powers carefully and for the benefit of others. The eight avoids being vulnerable. In fact, every eight in the room right now probably does not like the fact that I'm talking about them. They probably don't like that I'm sharing their inner world or their inner thoughts, or they're sitting on pins and needles waiting for the hammer to drop. Like, when is everyone going to find out the really bad stuff that we think and we do? Can I get a witness from any eights in the room? You just don't like being vulnerable. Yes, a few. All right. They act like they don't have feelings. Sometimes they just plow through life. But the reality is, friends... They're human too. They're human just like you, just like me. Maybe not quite as human as a four. A four has lots and lots of emotions that eights sometimes just look at, roll their eyes, come back another day. Eights are generally the most disconnected from their heart, um, from the heart center. So they feel an awful lot. They have a lot of emotions. They have a lot of feelings. But number one, it's hard to give language to it. So if you ask them, what are you feeling? Sometimes they can't articulate what they're feeling, but that doesn't mean they don't feel. They're just not real in tune with those, those feelings. And then number two, um, they don't often give space for their feelings. They feel like emotions and feelings are a weakness that it's better just go with your gut. If you think that's the right decision, do it. Just go with it. You'll find out soon enough if it's right or wrong. Just do it. Don't worry about it. Don't keep, don't keep crying over it. Just go with it. That's what eights often feel like. When unhealthy, 
We don't have any unhealthy eights in the room or online today, but when unhealthy, um, eights can be forceful. If you have a boss that's an unhealthy eight, they'll probably yell at you, scream at you because you didn't get the job done. Eights just really don't care about your feelings. They just really don't. They care about getting the job done. Uh, they don't mind a little blood. It's all in a day's work. Now, if you, if you think that I'm making eights sound awful, that's not my intent because I think eights carry such courage and bravery and without eights, there would be no global church today. So I'm saying some things that are unhealthy, but again, the goal of the Enneagram is not to be defined by it, but to outgrow it so that we know our tendency is to shed a little blood, to slay a few people when we're getting a job done. That way we can step in with a bit more tenderness, gentleness, and kindness, right? Um, Eights when unhealthy, they are relationally clueless, relationally clueless. I actually, this is not something that, that I see a lot of from my wife, um, but this is known to be in the eight. So I'm going to throw that out there because it might help some of you that are watching today or in the room and you're an eight. Um, oftentimes eights don't see how their personality, how their words, how their presence affects everyone else in the room. They're not real. Uh, they're self-aware in what they want. They're just not socially aware with how their presence is, is impacting everyone else. Now, if you love an eight or you're in relationship with an eight, this gives you such freedom to not be offended by that person, to know that it's not personal when they say, get the job done. Am I helping somebody today? Like, it's, it's not personal that they didn't say it the way I want them to say it. You know what I love about eights? especially sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled eights, they stick to the truth and nothing will get them off the truth. They will not waver. And you know what we like to do, all of us non-eights? We want to talk about and complain about the, the approach that they used rather than the fact that they spoke truth. If we can just push it off on the approach and, and we can make them feel bad because it was a little too abrasive, a little too abrupt, a little too direct, then we don't have to receive the truth that the eights are trying to give us. But guys, we need the eights to sit across the table like Nathan did with David and say, you are that person. I need someone to sit across the table from me and say, Trey, you're in sin. But you hurt my feelings. I don't care about your feelings. I care about your eternity. I care about your relationship with Jesus. I care that you're in right standing with God. Stop playing games. I love, I love me some good eights. I just, I just really hate when I need them. I, I love to appreciate them in my good times, not to need them in my bad. Can I get an amen from any eight that has ever stepped and pushed me out of a train that was heading my way before? Let's talk about their core sin, because I'm running out of time. Man, am I running out of time. The core sin, thank you, is lust. Lust is their core sin. That's a hard one to share in small group. <laughs> um, let me just say, some of you were too nervous to laugh at that. Um, <laughs> lust doesn't have to be sexual lust. If that's all you think about when you hear the word lust, 
You've really narrowed the scope of how the enemy tries to wiggle his room, wiggle his way into your home. Now, it can be sexual lust. An example of this in Scripture is Samson, right? I mean, how many times does Delilah have to try to kill you before you realize she ain't good for you, right? The course of lust overtook him. I mean, he couldn't see past his own desires. So that's a great example of sexual lust. But more than sexual lust, more often than not, it's usually a lust for power. And, and you heard it today from Tori so brilliantly in, in offering how she said she doesn't like to be controlled. I think every eight would agree with that. They're not, they don't care so much about trying to control you. Eights don't care about controlling you, but you better not control them. This lust for power, and especially what's funny, I suppose, is if an eight has to submit to another eight, it gets really intense and really interesting and really fun to watch. The lust can also be a lust for intensity. See, I'm a four and um, the fours are very intense emotionally. Um, eights, Carrie, my wife is an eight. Her course in is lust or intensity. And my kids make fun of us all the time. They say, y- y'all did not live a boring life. Like we decided, we decided in one month to adopt three extra kids and 30 days later, they're in our house. We decide we're going to pick up and leave College Station where things were good and we had a, a, a good job and we're going to go start a church where we don't know if anyone's going to show up. Like we... When we do stuff, it's never halfway, and half the time it's not even sane, right? We have this lust for intensity. It keeps our family fun and marriage exciting. The core desire for an eight is to protect themselves. Eights seem really, really strong and hard on the outside, but the desire is just to protect themselves. They're just creating a safe space for themselves. Their primary fear is being harmed or controlled or being exposed. I mentioned earlier, and I'm out of time, but I'm going to go off script for, for just a moment and share something with you. I mentioned earlier that an area of growth for eights and really all of us, don't let, because you're not an eight, don't let the sermon fall on deaf ears this morning. There's something the spirit of the Lord wants to say to you. And especially in the climate of keyboard warriors, right? Of all the craziness that our world is going through right now, legitimate craziness, like who would have thought our world would be going through this in 2020, right? we would all do well and benefit if we could pursue mercy and tenderness. You actually don't get extra credit in heaven for being harsh. James 2.13 says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Don't miss this very important concept. If you are merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. I thought Christians didn't get judged. That's the whole reason I said yes. 
to escape the wrath. The reality is every human alive today and every human that has ever lived will face judgment before the throne of God Almighty. What about Romans 8.1? There is therefore now no condemnation. Can y'all finish that? We know this, don't we? There is therefore now no condemnation for those. Yes. There is therefore now no condemnation for those. Okay, let's, let's try it again. How many have at least heard this? You're familiar with it. You're just being a little shy today. All right, listen. Say it with me. There is therefore. Good. A lot of Christians know that verse, but did you know that's only half the verse? The rest of the verse that we would do well to memorize says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Did you know that you can be a born again, saved follower of Jesus Christ on your way to heaven and still walk in the flesh? There are deceptions out there that will tell you once you become a Christian, you don't sin, you don't fall to anything. And I say that you have a new nature. The Bible clearly tells us that, but it's not theologically sound to say that you only walk in the spirit unless you only walk in the spirit. There are Christians among us walking in the flesh every day and you know the tree by the fruit that it bears. To say there is no condemnation of any kind to all who are in Christ Jesus is to overlook the whole totality of scripture. We're told that it's very possible for those who are in Christ to suffer some condemnation, albeit not eternal condemnation, not you think you're saved, surprise, you're in hell, not that. But we do know from 1 Corinthians 3, 12, that the Christian who walks after the flesh instead of leading of the spirit produces works of wood, hay, and stubble. Go on three more verses and it says, your works are going to be burned up in judgment if it's of the flesh. You still get to enter heaven, but my challenge to you today is a, a higher calling, a higher walk. Not just saying I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, but what does your life reflect? Have we forgotten as a a church that one day we are going to stand before the great white throne of God and we will be judged for everything we did, everything we said, everything we thought, everything we didn't do, every person we didn't stand up for, we will be judged. It's not a very fun message, is it? It's almost like I'm preaching an eight sermon. Church, I'm begging you today. I'm begging you, if you watch it online, shut off the noise. In Genesis, the devil came to Eve and he said, If you remember, the serpent said, did the Lord really say not to eat of this tree? Y'all remember that story, right? What was Satan trying to rob in that moment? The word of God. 
even today, the enemy is trying to rob the word of God from the conversations that are being had. He's trying to say it's irrelevant, it's outdated, it's not applicable, it needs to be amended, it needs to be talked about, we need to decide what we want to accept and what we don't. Can I just tell you, the enemy wants to rob you of the word of God because to defeat you, he has to first disarm you. And to disarm you, he has to remove the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, says Ephesians 6. Church, we know in the last days that there will be much deception, much confusion. We also know that approximately 50% of the church will not make the rapture because they are deceived and in error and they believe to be true. How do I know that? You can read for yourself the parable of the 10 virgins, which represents the church. Five of them had oil, five of them did not when the groom came. The five that did not have oil asked the ones that did, can I borrow some of your oil? And they said, no, you can't borrow my oil. You know why? Oil represents time. It represents relationship with Jesus. When the trumpet sounds and the rapture happens and the church is called home, there's one thing I cannot give you and that's my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I know it's convenient. I would love to just preach a gospel to say, you say a simple prayer and it's one and done and you don't worry anymore, but it is a daily relationship with Jesus Christ that will save your soul and rescue you from hell. And if I were an eight, I would have been more forceful than I was. I'm feeling the weight of making sure that I communicate truth in a way that's not only nice, to receive, but it's eternal. Because a flowery sermon will get burned up in the end, such as way, wood and hay, right? But the word of the Lord will stand forever. So in honor of all eights today, I wanna to give you an opportunity to come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, not just your Savior, not just your get out of hell free card, but your Lord, the one that you're gonna surrender your life to. And you're gonna wake up in the morning and you're gonna say, Lord, what should I do today? How can I bless you today? How can I bless others today? If you're ready to make that decision, maybe you're watching online or you're in the room, maybe some of you are saying, good God, after hearing all that, can I just get saved again? Yes, you can. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, just wave at me. Just wave at me. Thank you for that. Thank you. Online, I, I trust that there are people in your homes right now. You're ready to say yes to him. Church, will you just repeat this prayer after me? Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I thank you for the grace of God that gives me what I don't deserve. And I thank you for the mercy of God that withholds from me what I do deserve. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. I say yes to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you guys.